Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly, founder of OBP Australia, a service for overseas-born professionals looking to either get their first job in Australia or advance their career once they're established in their profession. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I'll be talking to an ex-OBP Australia client who's been successful in finding employment in Australia. We'll get to hear about their journey and what advice they have for job seekers. Junaid arrived in Australia in 2015 and is now a well-established business reporting analyst. This podcast is slightly different to most of the interviews I've conducted, as it's not going to focus so much on how to get work and what settlement issues face skilled migrants. We're going to focus more on the opportunities Australia has presented to Junaid and his family, reflecting on culture, community, and life in general. Junaid, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Terry. No problems. Thanks for joining us. Now, we met quite some time ago, and you've been in Australia for eight years now. How's life? Life is good. As with everybody, it has its ups and downs. I've gone through a phase where I lost uh, my father. It's uh, under a year now. And I believe that uh, a few things that I had ad- adopted. Uh, I'm an avid reader. I was into stoicism for the last uh, four and a half, five years. I do not know whether you believe in uh, divine guidance or you're a spiritual person. Everybody has that to varying de- degrees. And I believe that I was being prepared for this. So, yes, uh, I think that I uh, have learned uh, to live with the loss. Obviously, it cannot be replaced, a person like your father, but I have learned to live with it. Yes, I, I, I did know about your father. We have spoken before, so I'm very sorry for your loss. It's, it's very difficult uh, when we lose loved ones. Now, that's you seem to be... Um, having drawing strength on on other sources which is great and getting you through things now you came here eight years ago is that right am i correct in saying that yeah february of 2015 it was uh, the cricket world cup yeah i can never forget that i timed it uh, to perfection i am a bit of a cricket tragic so when the dates were being decided to arrive on australian shores I made sure that it coincided with the World Cup. Coincidentally, we're coming into another World Cup. Time flies. Yes, it's just so a matter you, of yeah. You are a cricket tragic. So, how's that panning out? Are you getting involved in cricket in Australia in any way? I, I don't know how things are, but cricket has always played a pivotal role. I am a toastmaster and. The people around me sometimes have to actually come up to me and tell me enough of those uh, cricketing anecdotes. You sound you sound predictable now, but I can't because it has such a major role in my upbringing, in how the analogies I build, the strengths I draw, and now I'm a community junior cricket coach as well. I'm coaching my son's under fourteen team coming this coming summer. 
So really looking forward to it. And uh, the idea is to, to channelize whatever I learn. I read a lot and I'm into psychology, behavioral psychology, sports psychology, growth mindset, and stoicism. So I like to see my son develop into a responsible and a and an individual with a growth mindset. And I want to see him in a social setting. And what better place than on the cricket field where he interacts with 11 or more players from both sides, different personalities. So it gives me an opportunity not only to integrate into Australian society, but also contribute to the community by passing on the thing that I learn and read. Do you think that that transition to a new culture, Australia, is has um, been assisted by the fact that Australia and Pakistan are both um, ex-British colonies and we have that common sporting thread? Has that been useful at all? For me, absolutely. I recall when I came over to Australia, whenever I had to connect with anybody, it had to be cricket. That was a great conversation starter. Look, at at a certain time in your life, you're too late to learn about new sports. I know AFL and rugby league, rugby union league is big in Australia. And I do recall you giving me, encouraging me to use that as small talk. Unfortunately, even after eight years, I haven't been able to develop an affinity for the sport with all due respect. So I stick to my strengths. Uh, I was a tier away fast bowler. Thanks to my son, I'm now learning the fine art of leg spin, so, which is a bit of a reinvention. But yes, it has helped that sport, this sport, uh, cricket. So, so uh, your son's is, a leg spin bowler, is he? Yes, he protested three seasons ago three seasons ago he just put his hands up just because his old man was a tier away fast bowler he just put his hands up he said that you know i want to have a go at leg spin and has he said, got a you... has he got a reliable flipper working well he's working on it he's got his uh, he's got his leg break and he's got his googly the wrong one, as they call it here and the flipper frankly speaking is the toughest of them all, but uh, with the advent of T20, just when I thought that the the spin would be the first casualty of this new format, I think it's the other way around. If you look at the top bowlers in the T20 format, it's the spinners who have made a comeback. And they're not spinning it big. They are just bowling those straighter ones with different trajectories, with different spins and different varieties. I only thought that there were three or four variations, but there are heaps more. So it's work in progress. It 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 keeps my thirst for the game alive. That's great. I've got books now that I between seasons I study new forms of coaching and you know uh, it's a it's a tug of war between two generations now. He he's out to prove a point and I'm out to prove a point. How does um, the teachings of Marcus Aurelius merge with uh, cricket? It's funny that you picked out Marcus. Aurelius, because uh, they are three of the main people that the authors that I follow. And Marcus Aurelius is uh, the favorite of uh, Ryan Holiday. I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday's work. He is responsible of bringing 
the ancient philosophy of Stoicism into the modern world. A lot of leaders, a lot of sports personalities have read his work. And I think uh, Ryan is responsible for introducing me into Stoicism. So at one point of time in history, Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man on the planet. He was the philosopher king, as people would call him. And he left a piece of literature which was not meant for public consumption. It was more of a personal journal. of a, uh, But his meditations, as they're called, have become a source of light for many generations. So he used to write to create self-awareness, to keep himself honest, honest as a ruler, honest uh, as, a, a hum as a human being. So that has come to my rescue. Stoicism's basic philosophy is to concentrate on things that you can control and not to be overwhelmed by the things that are out of your control. Yes. It's, that's it's, a very simple. Yeah. That's the basics, yeah, of, basis of it. So it's very difficult to argue with that, isn't it? It seems to make a lot of sense, regardless of what your other beliefs are. Absolutely. It, it's a very simplistic way of putting, putting it. But at the heart of every ideology, be it religious or otherwise, the fundamentals are same. Like life can go away anytime. That's another cornerstone of Stoicism, that at any time you live as if uh, you're already dead. Like this moment, 15 minutes that have passed away, I'm not going to get them back. So I'm already dead. So you live your life to the fullest. So you try to make the most of your day with your family, with every passing moment. That's where Meditation comes in as well, where you try and be in the moment. That's where journaling comes in, where you create self-awareness. So there are two or three things that have helped me journaling. I've got uh, three journals that I fill every day. One of them has one line a day and has consecutive five years. So if I pick up a page from that journal, each journal has entries of that same day for five years. So that's an interesting way of looking at what, where you were at the same date last year. So reflection and trying to trying to be in the present. And does a journal does a journal cover all aspects of your life? Yes, and, I was coming to that. Yep. I've got three journals. There's this one journal, which is the one line a day. That's a five-year memory book, basically one line every day. That's just a hypnosis or a summary of what I've done that day. Then there's the daily stoic journal that has stoic-inspired prompts for every day. It's uh, It goes with the daily stoic book by Ryan Holiday. And every day I've got a page that reflects on the stoic lesson for the day. In light of that, I have a morning and evening entry. So that's the second journal. So that's more philosophical. And then the third one is where I log uh, 
my physical exercise for the day. I also have uh, five alternating prompts uh, from each day. To give you an example, uh, the prompts might be, what, what work did I do? Any noticeable occurrences? What I'm grateful for? What I want to be better at? How am I succeeding? And on the other day, on the alternate day, I have a set of prompts that go like this. Is this essential? Am I progressing? Why am I taking this so seriously? What is my contribution? What less looks like? Do I fear death because I won't be able to do this anymore? So, so I've got uh, this thing that keeps me, keeps me self-aware. And it's also given me some strength. And uh, I think uh, I have become a lot more calmer in the face of adversity. So, so with the journals, do you separate your professional life from your personal or is it all merged together? It is, it is all merged. It depends. Like there was, uh, there was this uh, prompt which said any special occurrences. So that special occurrence could be in my personal life. It could be a Toastmasters competition that I've won or lost. It could be me coaching my son during a tough time on the field or with his studies or my daughter. It could be I'm playing cricket in the backyard with her after she's done some workbooks. When she comes back from school, I feel very happy about it. And I put that as an entry. I I actually mentioned that to my daughter so that she gets the inspiration to write her own journal. Sure. That's my way of encouraging her to write, you know, to get into the habit of writing. So, a lot so of you, my yeah, sorry. So do you think the the process of getting it out, the feelings, the ideas, all of that is the key for this, or do you use it more for reflection, reading back on what you've done? I frankly speaking, I have been doing this for four consecutive years now. I just write it and I don't look back. I'll be honest. So for me, at this particular point of time, it's more about unloading and being aware of the immediate circumstances. Like obviously, the way I enter stuff in my journal is the, the preceding day. So it's pretty fresh and my emotions are pretty fresh and I reflect upon it. And I also, it keeps me self-aware. So you lost it yesterday. So you were angry yesterday. So that that tone that you spoke with, you could have done it better. So I'm using it for feedback and reflection. I do not look back on it. The idea is that someday somebody will pick it up. If they, if I've done something in life, they probably would write a memoir inspired by it. Hmm. So it, in its uh, current everyday form, is it private or is it something you share? No, it's extremely private, and uh, yeah. everybody uh, respects that. I carry it uh, in my travels. I carry it. Uh, it was with me when my father passed away. And before he passed away, a year before that, I traveled in the pandemic, and I still had that. And I'm really happy that even through those toughest days, this was with me. Right. And... Given that, I mean, life presents us with sliding door moments, what do you think you would be doing if you hadn't emigrated eight years ago? So so maybe think about 
what Australia has presented to you and perhaps what you wouldn't have had and what you would have had if you'd stayed in Pakistan? I know it's a big question. (laughs) It is a big question, but uh, yeah, that was why I was gathering my breath because I can go on for a bit, but I just want to do justice. I'll be lying if I am not uh, full of gratitude for this opportunity to be here. I've rediscovered myself. I have connected to my family a lot better, even though my parents uh, were abroad. But I connected better. It's not the geographic distance. It's the heart. It's the mind that needs to be free of all distractions that you can give your undivided attention. Now, I make it a point to call my mom, especially after my father's passing away. Every day, I connect with her. Even prior to my father's death, I was regularly in touch with them. You would be surprised when I went to Pakistan uh, for his final rites. Most of the people who knew my father knew my son. They knew him very well because my father used to discuss my son with all of his uh, all of his uh, associates and the and uh, because he was in the field of teaching he was a he was a linguist he he was very conversant in Persian in Persian and Arabic and he ha- had trained people in various walks in life in all corporate sectors And so he had a very wide network and most of the people that he used to associate with knew about my son, which was very touching and which was also testimony to the fact that I was able to create that space. I had to lead that way. Had I I not migrated to Australia, I would not have had that space. First of all, my, I came here with my parents' blessings. They knew that I was doing a sacrifice. The sacrifice was to provide a free and a better future to, my, to myself and my family. And my mom still believes every day that I've done the right decision, even though there's a huge sacrifice that I have to stay away from my parents. But when she talks to my son and my daughter and we discuss the lifestyle, and I keep her up to date every day, what I'm up to. And she just feels really happy, and that makes it worthwhile. So the answer is it's given me space. It's given me freedom. Now, space in the sense I I, I worked for some very famous and prestigious blue chip companies without taking their names. One was a petroleum, a global giant petroleum company, and the other one was probably the world's leading beauty product retailer and manufacturer. But I, the environment over there did not leave much after work. I remember going to office, and there were occasions where I stayed at the office for overnight all-nighters, I remember taking a shower, dropping my son to school and coming back to work again. Being a finance professional, 
<laughs> the joke is that I used to have black hair. It's quite grayed out now. So I tend to, even though it's hereditary, but I blame it on my profession. But um, I think uh, the, I might have had a few lesser strands of gray. But I think with the workaholic and the long, long working hours, I wasn't able to give that much attention to my family once I was home. It was more of uh, me passively watching and flipping uh, TV channels. My health uh, wasn't that great. I, I, I grew up playing cricket and badminton, but after marriage uh, and uh, the long working hours, and then you have a cultural thing in Pakistan where you have to have these late night weddings and and social commitments from both sides of the families. So I really wasn't living the life that I was reading about. The little time that I had for reading, I was also I had some good mentors over there who taught me visioning, to live life with purpose, with a plan to achieve something. I had these visions. I had this idea of spending my life deliberately, but I wasn't spending my life deliberately. So I came to Australia in the first few months where I was looking for for a job, my mom called me up and said, hey, have you heard about Toastmasters? While you're having this time, you might get into a phase where you might be a little upset. You might get overwhelmed, get distracted by adversity. So why don't you join Toastmasters? The irony was that in Pakistan, they had Toastmasters as well. But I'd never heard of it. And my mom did go there. But it's only in Australia that I actually took her advice and went to this. And I'm still part of that same club, Bruce Toastmasters uh, in Belcon in Canberra. Yeah, Toastmasters is a great opportunity to to speak, of course, um, to get confidence. And uh, a lot of my uh, clients actually use it as a way to to you know practice and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do just on the immigration and i'm sure you've had conversations with your son about your decisions to emigrate um what what does he think about it all has he has he been back does he you know has he got a deep understanding of his roots what's happening along those lines culturally it's funny he's now a teenager he's just turned 13 so i have to take all of his feedback with a pinch of salt you know, at his age, you've been through it as well, Terry, that uh, his responses are very really reactive, defensive, and uh, sometimes disproportionate to what the query is. Hmm. Like I might be discussing that, you know, you may you want to bowl that ball sh short, uh, you know, not that short, a fuller length, and he might just bring up something. You know how much stress I have these days? You know how much pressure we have as a teenager? Everything it's everything is just disproportionate it's a good thing that i read a few books on child psychology so i know where that is coming from it's just his chemistry and biology is just uh, he's going through a phase of rebirth his brain is going re going to get rewired until he's 22 so i'll just have to give him that space but yes this topic does come up sometimes he uses it to to justify some of his behavior and I do feel that initially he he went very quiet. He wasn't expressive. Now, he came here when he was just four years old. 
and he was uh, looked after by his grandparents both sides and he was very close to his aunt as well and uh, my wife and i were both professionals and he used to spend a lot of time at the daycare so he was exposed to a corporate environment but yet he had people that pampered him a lot so when he came over here everything it was just the three of us so he did went through a phase where he went extremely quiet and he did not express himself but i believe where we were successful were that we maintained our ties thanks to technology we were able to keep in touch constantly with our family they made a few trips as well and we made a few trips uh after migrating as well the pandemic did interrupt that and um slowly and gradually i think he's uh, come to appreciate the liberties the freedoms that australia provides nothing is perfect there's some cultural things that he still does not agree with and we completely support him for having his own opinions and what what are his ties to pakistan do you think culturally linguistically is is that has that continued or has yes, been a, yeah. Yes, uh, yes. I th- I think he he has kept the cultural part of it alive. When we have the festivals of Eid, Eid al-Fitr, and Eid al-Adha, he does make it a point that uh, he participates in all of those uh, cultural festivals. He's not shy to wear his cultural clothes. He is very proud of it. He does not feel peer pressure to conform with uh, the people who are around him and frankly speaking uh, most of the people most of the kids at school they appreciate cultural diversity at least in the school that he goes to they celebrate everybody knows what the festivals are and what the occasions are even when there's a cricket match uh, you know between the traditional li- rivals india and pakistan they played uh, in a encounter a couple of weeks ago in the asia cricket uh, cup tournament and they're due to play on the 14th of october we've all booked our calendars we've all made our plans to sit together and watch the game and he just wears uh, uh, the pakistani attire when he's watching the game which i like uh, he doesn't have to do that i don't do that but uh, yes, he enjoys the cuisine. He enjoys the language, of his own accord. He's, and, uh, and what about when um, Australia plays Pakistan? What's happening there? <laughs> look, it's a win-win situation for both of us. I know. I know. Uh, the average is always support Australia, and my friends ask me this question a lot. And I say, look, mate, what a luxury to have. It's a win-win situation for me. Either way, I win. And uh, thanks to the big bash, and thanks to my close connection to the cricket fraternity over here i thoroughly enjoy such encounters my daughter on the other hand is a completely different story like uh, just to finish my last point out of his own accord my son has started studying um, 
poetry in urdu uh, i did not i did not i'm i'm not good in poetry i i do dabble in poetry and literature in english but my maybe it's in his genes his grandfather was pretty good with urdu persian and arabic so he he likes reading urdu and persian poetry and he's uh, dabbled into a few verses of his own so maybe it's uh, it's again it's it's the nourishment he gets from the environment i did not see him develop this in karachi with all due respect it's not because environment is very important and i think over here we found that environment both myself my wife and my kids they found the environment where there's breathing space where you're not judged you're free to pursue whatever field you want to and you're not judged for it societal pressures are a bit less you've got more options and once you're free with with a free and relaxed mind now this is a little bit of my coaching thing coming in when i ask a player to go in the field i ask him to play with freedom and with a relaxed mind this is not the time to to consciously work on a tweak in your technique no you let your muscles be relaxed whether you're a bowler or a batsman all the deliberate practice is in the nets during the match you just need to relax and your muscle memory and your subconscious mind takes over and i think the relaxed atmosphere the clean environment and people not judging you all the time has helped my whole family that's really really good advice jinay um and also advice from all the great coaches as well is to to be in the moment and and let all that practice do itself i think if you're thinking about doing something you're not in the the flow of what you should be doing so letting the body take over is is um a, a great great piece of advice there so thank you um for sharing all of that with us and i'm sure um your your parents are very proud of of what you've achieved and and even though it's been difficult at times and um your father was clearly very proud of you given that he talked about your son uh at length with his friends and so on so um that's that's all really wonderful stuff to hear is there any just finishing up do you have any advice for somebody who is perhaps about to arrive in australia in a similar position to what you were in eight years ago uh dealing with all those butterflies the uncertainty the stress what what would you say to somebody in that position hmm sometimes we are too preoccupied with preconceived notions we read the newspaper we see the news so depending where you are most of the time bad news sells it's always the adverse part of stuff that gets reported now when i was uh, back in pakistan sometimes there were reports of discrimination you know in the aftermath of some global events now these things got reported over there because it was a, an anomaly australia 
perhaps does not have that many instances. No, no place is perfect and not everybody is an angel in every society. We all have some people who, who are just have biases and prejudices and it comes out. So sometimes you come with a preconceived notion that, you know, maybe we're not welcome. Maybe we will be discriminated against. I would tell them, come here with an open mind. Now, before I even had the thought of migrating, my wife, she graduated from a university in Tasmania. And she was already halfway on her way to having her PR. She was on, well on her way. But then she got married. She liked to be close to her family as well. She discussed the chances of us moving to Australia. I said, I said that I want to be close to my family. She wanted to be close to our family. But then the security circumstances in that part of the world began to deteriorate. It started affecting, affecting the upbringing of my children and myself to a certain extent. So she said, look, why don't you at least have a look at Australia? So I came back in 2012 before I migrated. At that point, there was no intention of migrating. It was just a tour to Australia for sightseeing. And, and um, once I arrived to the shores, uh, there was something about it that was very welcoming. It did not overwhelm you. Now, I've traveled a bit myself. The first time I went to England, I went there on a cricketing tour when I was uh, in college. And sometimes you get intimidated by a cultural shock. But in the moment I arrived in Sydney, I did not feel that way. And I went to some four cities. I went to Gold Coast. I went to Tasmania, Melbourne, and Sydney. And everywhere I went, I found people who were genuine. They smiled at you when they made eye contact. They would give you a good day. I hope I got that accent right. I still struggle <laughs> with it. It's more good afternoon and good morning. I just haven't been able to master that one. My kids do a better job. So, and if you if you are in struggling as a tourist, they will go out of their way to guide you, and they would guide you in such a manner that it's in your best interest. So the first advice I would give is that come here with an open mind. You're traveling about many kilometers. You're doing a sacrifice. Do not come here with preconceived notions. Make up your own mind, right? Secondly, do not try to oversell yourself. What What do you I mean keep... in a professional context? Yeah, or... I, maybe overselling is not the right word. People are very judgmental. Like my experience, people may disagree with me. But when you're being judged constantly, you come up with, A, you are very defensive. And you try to always say that you know more than you do. So that the other person does not have a, does not feel that you are underqualified or or you don't know your stuff. So one thing that they do carry over themselves, if, if somebody asks you a simple question, that do you know this? They'll say, yes, 
I'm very good at this, but not only can I do this, I can perhaps like, let's talk about Excel. Like I'm not only good with Excel, I can make a financial model that can be a business case of selling so many million worth of SKUs. So the thing is, when you do that, people get expectations. Now I know where that is coming from because in some working atmospheres in the subcontinent, if somebody would say that, look boss, I have tried, but I don't think I can do it, they become judgmental. Or maybe they per they're perceived as judgmental. And people, when they do that, they get caught out. The first advice I would say to any aspiring person coming to Australia for his first job is just be honest. If your supervisor or your manager asks you something, tell, tell them what their capability is. Tell them that, you know, I gave it your best shot. And tell them upfront that you're struggling with it and you need help. Rather than telling them, no, I'm top of it. Nothing's wrong. And on the 11th hour, just before the deadline, you come up and say, look, boss, I, I'm struggling here. And then you lose credibility. Mm. And uh, over here, what I believe is honesty is the best policy at the risk of sounding cliched. They will support you if you come to them for help. But if you try to, you know, fool them or not being sincere with them, then you get caught out and then yeah. you, you're written off. Even if you're you're just doing it to you know to try and impress and and to put your best foot forward and show them what you can do, I mean managers generally here uh, actually like it when they know what you can't do as well, so they can provide the the relevant support. And 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 in some jobs, like you said before, telling them at the eleventh hour can cost them money, it can cost them time, so that can backfire in the end. Correct. Yes, totally. I totally agree with you. And this is pretty much common sense. But I tell you, there's a cultural aspect mm. to it. Why we're discussing this over here is because you asked me if there's somebody, some compatriot that's coming here, what's the best advice that I'll give him? I'll give him because, and I don't blame them. I've worked in that environment as well. People just won't say no to you. If you ask them to do something, yes, boss, done. It shall be done. Right? So they struggle to say no. Now, it's a very complex thing. It might be cultural or it might be that people are highly judgmental. We, we, the environment over there is that there's just no room for you to just come across as somebody who is less than perfect, which, is, which essentially is wrong. Human beings are flawed and... You know, that's how you learn. So, so what do you do in an environment where the culture is to say, "Yes, I can take that on board. I can do it," even if you're you can't. Do you get help from somebody else, from colleagues, or how do you actually end up um, doing look, what, it, what the boss has uh, asked? Look, uh, and you know, it's not only them. the The seniors also are highly judgmental. You get that vibe from them and from your colleagues as well. There's always the impression that somebody's breathing down your neck, that the moment you find caught out, he'll cash in on that. Is it more competitive, do you think? It's not competitive, it's more cutthroat. Competitive more cutthroat. is healthy. Competitive is healthy. Cutthroat is not healthy. It has an element of being toxic around it. So I think, uh, and again, 
as I've said, it depends from organization to organization. I've been fortunate to work in an organization, but even, but there's a cultural aspect to it as well. Like if I am going to Toastmasters or if I'm play, playing casual badminton, I would be the first person to go there to an expert and ask him, hey, I'm struggling over here. I had a look at you and uh, how can I get better at this? Without any qualms, without him, you know, without the feeling of being judged. That's the that's the crucial word. I don't feel judged over here. I feel very free to be myself. And if anything, um, in this culture, if you ask somebody for their advice or opinion or how to do something, they actually feel good about that because they're put in the place of being more expert. So in, in that sense, they feel good about you because you've made them feel good in many ways. Yeah, totally. I think it takes a lot of pressure off. You know, you don't have to be pretentious. Like uh, what I feel is that uh, I'm, I'm I'm comfortable in my skin. I do not have to be dishonest. I don't right. have to lie. So it takes a lot of pressure. You know, imagine all this thing, all this baggage accumulating and the stresses that come with it. And then psychosomatic aspects, it affects health create stress so as i said if somebody is coming over here i i would i would seriously request them that come here with an open mind and try to be honest with yourself and try to be honest with the people i know it's it's a different and working environment over there sometimes uh, you have to be not honest let me put it that way but over here, try to be honest mm. and um, things will smoothen out. You will get used to the fact that people over here will understand. That's really good advice, Junaid, and probably a good spot to finish up. So so thank you very much for sharing all that with the listeners and uh, congratulations again on settlement here and the transition you've made, you've done an excellent job with with both your professional life and with the family so great work and it's been great knowing you we've we've known each other for quite some time now so thanks again and keep in touch look uh, i know you're you've almost done a wrap but uh, i would not end this uh, in this interview without mentioning uh, the role that you have played now i'm not uh, doing this to patronize you it's your podcast but uh, when I said being comfortable, one of the few first friends that I made in Australia happens to be you. And that was possible. You were my first flavor of how to interact with Australians. So I'm really grateful. The initial interactions gave me a lot of confidence. I learned a lot how to interact with professionals. And then once again, honesty transparency and being candid was the key. So thank you very much uh, for helping me in those formative years. And you have come to be a friend of mine over the years. And I'm, it's a privilege uh, to have known you. And I hope to continue this relationship. Well, thank you for the kind words, Junaid. I'm glad that our uh, connection has been useful. And again, thanks very much and um, take care. You too. Take care. Thanks for having me.
OBP Australia provides guidance and support with job applications and approaching employers, industry awareness, interview coaching, and language and communication. You'll also be introduced to your professional peers already working in Australia, so you can get the lowdown on what's happening in your industry or profession. If you're looking for guidance and support to find your next job, email me at terry at obpaustralia.com.au. Let's talk.